This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus. We're just going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And so uh, I would encourage you, if you missed anything so far, uh, this is message number 49 in our series. Uh, so you can always get caught up on our website or through the Hui Kala app. I would encourage you to get the Hui Kala app because you can download the notes for today's message through the Hui Kala app. If you click on Magnify Jesus, you click on uh, the button for today's uh, message. You can click on the button that says fill in notes. It'll open up a web browser. You can type your notes in the browser, follow along with all the verses we're going to be taking a look at uh, as well. Uh, if you want to use that and, and download your PDF notes at home or use your PDF notes on your device, do whatever you do. If you just want to grab a sheet of paper and write down notes, I would encourage you to do that because you're going to want to make, make a note of some things that we talk about today because oftentimes we hear things and, and God speaks to us, but we forget them later. And so having a good note system is just a way to do that. Uh, we have some uh, bold as a lion orange uh, journals in the back. If you want to grab one of those and make, make notes in it, just take really good notes and refer back to them later. We find ourselves in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, which was a church that he had started uh, and moved on from. Uh, and then about 10 years later, he finds himself in prison. And he writes a letter back to them while he's in prison saying, hey guys, uh, thanks for your encouragement and support. I want to encourage you and support you in a couple of other ways. And so he writes them uh, a letter to encourage their hearts. And so we find ourselves in the middle of Philippians chapter 3. Paul has gone through this list and basically said uh, at the beginning of Philippians 3, hey, I tried to be a really good person and do a lot of really religious stuff. Here's all the things that I did that I thought would mean something that would really matter. And he says, all of those good works that I tried to do or the really religious things that I tried to do, I count those as lost. They're, they're no good for actually pursuing Christ uh, instead. And so he takes a list of his religious accolades. He says, all those are awash. They're no good. It's all about Jesus from here forward. And so we'll find ourselves in verse number nine. We're really going to focus on verse number uh, 12 today uh, in our passage uh, this morning. But we'll read through the uh, end of uh, verse number 16. So, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse number 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12 is where we're going to uh, spend our time today. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may be apprehended for that which I am also apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. If in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Oftentimes when I'm sharing my faith with people and I'm going through the gospel and explaining to them how they can be saved. Most important thing in the entire world is how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. And quick answer, it's only through Jesus alone. That's it. But I'll often talk with people and I'll share the gospel with them and I'll say, hey, look, 
we've sinned against the holy God, but God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die and pay for your sins. Now, the wages of sin, what you've earned as a result of your sin is death. You deserve to go to hell because you sinned. I deserve to go to hell because I've sinned, but God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place. While you owe God for your sin, Jesus has paid the price in full for you. And if you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin, you can be saved. You can be born again. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he is the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to forgive me of my sins and save me. If you really believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, the Bible says you can be saved immediately. Boom, just like that, born again. I'll share that with people, and we sometimes refer to that as sharing the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for sinners. And so when I share the gospel with people, and I'll sometimes bring them to the end of that and say, would you like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today? Is there anything that would keep you from accepting the gift that God's given you of salvation through Jesus Christ today? Oftentimes, the pushback that I get from people is this. You know, I don't know if I really have what it takes to keep on going, and so I'm not sure if I can do that or not. Or, I'm not sure if I can stop sinning and actually follow Jesus, so I'm not really sure that I can commit to that today. Or, maybe I'm really good at starting something, but I can't really see it through to completion, and so I think I might fall off the wagon at some point in the future, so I'm not ready quite yet. And the problem with, that, with statements like that are this. They're often confusing the idea of salvation being born again, with the idea of sanctification, being made like Jesus Christ. And they're, they're two separate things. And so again, if I'm thinking to myself, and let me just tell you this today, if you think to yourself that you can be good enough to go to heaven, you are sorely mistaken. If you think that you can be good enough for God to look at you and go, wow, what a great guy, I could really use a guy like that on my team, you are sorely mistaken. If you think that there's something inside of you that draws you to God because you're so good, you don't understand who you really are. God gives you eternal life, not based on the fact that you are good, but because he is good and gracious, loving, and merciful. It has very little to do with your condition. So again, the idea that we can be good enough to earn God's salvation or be good enough for God to receive us. And again, sometimes people say, well, I need to clean up my life before I come to Jesus. Again, you're getting the cart before the horse and you have to come to Jesus before you can clean anything up. And so again, it's important that we understand the distinction between salvation and sanctification. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. But sanctification, discipleship, really knowing Jesus, that's a journey of a lifetime. That's going to take you the rest of your life to get all that sorted out. And so sometimes when people are on the fence about following Jesus or not, I'm going to tell you this. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everything else will work itself out later. We've got time for that. But here's the fact of the matter. You die in your sins without Jesus Christ, you will split hell wide open, and there's no second chances for you. Now, again, if it sounds like I'm being harsh, I just want to shoot you straight. I want to tell you the truth. I want you to know what you're in danger of. It, it's hurtful to me to see churches who say, hey, if you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. If you don't believe in, in the Bible, that's okay. Uh, you just do you and we'll do us and, and we'll all uh, meet up eventually one day somewhere. That couldn't be further from the truth. Hey, look, if I go see the doctor and I've got stage four cancer, I don't want him to pat me on the head and tell me that I'm okay and go live my best life. 
I want you to shoot me straight. Tell me what's wrong with me so I can fix it. And so if you're here today trying to earn your way to heaven, I want to tell you what's wrong so that you can fix it. You'll never earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good stuff. You can't be religious enough to ever make up for the wrong that you've done. You need to be saved. Jesus is talking to a very religious guy in John chapter 3. You want to talk about religion? This guy, Nicodemus, was a religious dude. And sometimes I'll ask people, hey, if you die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? They say, well, I go to church every opportunity that I get. That's not a good answer. Hey, if you die today, are you sure you go to heaven? Well, I got baptized when I was a baby. Not a good answer. I got baptized when I was a teenager. Not a good answer. I got baptized last week. Not a good answer. You're talking about religious works. And this guy, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 and says, uh, hey, explain to me what's going on here. And Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so Nicodemus scratches his head and goes, wait a minute. I'm an old man. Am I supposed to crawl in my mother's womb a second time to be born again? And Jesus says, no, no, no. A man must be first born of the water. When he talks about the water, he's talking about the woman's sack that she has that, that we're in before we're born. They need to be born physically first. And then there must be a spiritual birth after that. Again, false religion would twist these verses. That's why I wanted you to be very knowledgeable and discerning. When it talks about the water, it's talking about a physical birth. When it's talking about the spirit, it's talking about a spiritual birth. False religion would say, it's, oh, it's talking about baptism. You have to be baptized first so that you can be saved. Could not be further from the truth not what it's talking about here so jesus says you must be born again you must be born first a physical birth and a, a second spiritual birth and jesus says no man shall enter the kingdom of god unless he's born again he was talking to a religious guy who knew a lot of religious stuff but didn't know jesus and so you have to be saved and if you've never been saved or born again today's the day to do that you don't have to attend a class you don't have to be a baptist you don't have to join our church you just have to agree with god about your sinful condition and who his son jesus christ is you have to be willing to submit yourself to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ and follow after him. You say, well, I just want to pray a prayer so I can go to heaven. There is no prayer that you can pray in the world to go to heaven. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ. You must repent of your sins. But when you get saved, boom, it's a miracle of a moment. I, I trusted Jesus Christ when I was a nine-year-old boy. And at that, as a nine-year-old boy, I sat beside my bed with my dad. He went through the Romans road with me. I bowed my head. I prayed. I confessed my sin to Jesus. I put my full faith and assurance in him as Lord and Savior. And I was born again as a nine-year-old boy. The moment that I was born again, the Holy Spirit of God came inside of me. All the wrong I'd ever done was washed away as if it never happened. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I was adopted into the family of God. And I became a child of God. And I was born again in that moment. Now... What took place from 9 to 22 years old was absolutely nothing whatsoever. Nothing. No growth, no spiritual growth, no spiritual fruit, nothing good. I grew up in a church that so basically was like this. Hey, the most important thing in the world is that you know for sure that you're going to heaven. And when you get your ticket punched to heaven, just kind of sit back and relax and wait for your number to be called. We're going to sing songs that talk about heaven that are really happy. We'll even clap and sing as we sing them. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. But when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We'll sing songs about heaven. We'll talk about I'll fly away, uh, happy songs about heaven. But I never stopped for a split second to consider the fact when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, but my neighbor is going to be burning in hell because I didn't share the truth with them. I didn't stop and think about that for a second. So I was in a church of basically a bunch of cheerleaders who were glad that they were saved but didn't care about anybody else. 
And so for me, I was just kind of waiting for my number to be called. And so from the time that I was nine years old till I was 22 years old, I did a lot of stupid stuff, a lot of foolish stuff. I was living in a sinful lifestyle as a single adult, but it was because of this, I didn't know any better. I wasn't living in outright rebellion, shaking my fist at God, angry with him. I just didn't know any better because all the Christians that I knew were carnal. All the Christians that I knew cussed. All the Christians that I knew drank alcohol. All the Christians that I knew smoked dope and and had sex and looked at porn. I, I didn't see my life as any different than everybody else. And so the problem wasn't my salvation. The problem was my discipleship and sanctification. And that's a process that we got to go through as well. So we talk about salvation. Salvation is determined by a one-time confession of faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the fact that when you're born again, you're born again, done. End of story. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, before we knew God, we were at the enemies of God. But now that we've been accepted by J- Jesus Christ, as, or we've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we've been adopted into the family of God. And I'm thankful for the fact that when we're adopted into the family of God, there's nothing that we can do to lose our sonship and daughtership. That's one of the things that absolutely grinds my gears of so-called Christianity that believes every time you sin, you lose your salvation. Can you imagine how much anxiety that would bring in your life if you didn't know you were a child of God or not? I think I've done enough good stuff to go to heaven or not. I think I'm still a child of God or maybe not. Did, did what I watched on TV last night, did that take away my salvation? Did the things that I say at work today, did that take away my salvation? Am I going to hell again? Do I need to get saved again? But friend, I'm here to tell you this. Once you are saved, like legitimately Bible saved, there's nothing that you or anyone else can do to take that away from you. There's nothing that you can do to, that Jesus says this, they're in my hand and I'm in my Father's hand and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. If you've been legitimately saved, you cannot lose your salvation. And here's the thing, it's not up to you to keep your salvation, because if it were up to you to keep it, I guarantee you this, you'd lose it, guaranteed. Look, I have a Bluetooth tag that I put on my car keys because I can't keep track of my car keys. Like, do I really think that I can keep my salvation? I didn't do anything to earn it, therefore I can't do anything to lose it. And so, and so then people begin to ask the question, well, well, does that mean if you're just saved, you can sin as much as you want and still go to heaven? Technically, yes, but here's the better question. If you're really a child of God, why would you want to continue in sin? That doesn't make sense. If you were a prisoner set free from prison, and they open the gates, and they put you out in the parking lot, and you turn around and look at the prison, and you go, what do I do to get back in there? You'd say, what? what's wrong with you? You just get set free from that. Romans chapter 6 tells us the same thing. Shall we just continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so I'm thankful for the fact that we can know for sure that we have eternal life. I'll often ask people, if you die today, are you 100% sure that you go to heaven? They say, well, I think so, I hope so, I'm I'm 50% sure, I'm 90% sure. They have people telling me, I'm 99.9, but nobody can really be 100% sure. That's not what the Bible says. If you're taking notes, write down 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. For those of you that believe on the name of the Son of God, here's what I'm writing to you to tell you that you may know that you have eternal life, even to them that believe on his name. Again, in that verse, it says, he doesn't write these things so that you can hope that you're going to heaven or hope so or be mostly assured of so that you can know because there's assurance in knowing. 
Look, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt if I fall over dead this very moment that I'm going to be in heaven, no questions asked. Because, not because I'm a good person, not because I'm a pastor, not because I died in church. I'm, I'm going to heaven because the Bible says that if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I can be saved. Again, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. I've confessed my sin. I've repented it. And because of that, I have eternal life. Promise from God. So salvation takes place by a one-time confession of faith. Sometimes I'll be talking with people and I'll say, hey, tell me about when you got saved. And they say, well, if you got a minute, because the first time that I got saved, I was just like, oh boy, here we go. Uh, because here's the thing. If you legitimately got saved, there's only one time. Now, you might have come to a place where you questioned your faith and you got assurance of your salvation or you went through a period of time where you were, were doubting your faith and you came back to a place where like, hey, I really am saved. But if you got saved, there's only one time that you get saved. You were born again and no one can ever take that away from you. It's, it's a moment, a point in time. And so sometimes people say like, well, you know, I can't remember a time that I was born again. I, I think I've just always been born again. You can't always be born again. It doesn't work that way. It's like asking me when my birthday was. Well, I can't really remember a time that I wasn't around. I've just kind of always been. I mean, like, I don't really have a birthday. I've just always been around as long as I can remember. Like, I don't remember a time when I wasn't around. That's how, like, how, long, I, how long I've been around. And sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, I don't really remember a time that I didn't believe in God. I don't really remember a time that I wasn't born again. Well, no, you have to have a time, a date, a place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to make sure that you're saved. And here's the thing. If you're not saved, nothing that I say from here forward today will make any sense whatsoever to you. It'll probably be one of the dumbest things you've ever heard in your life. Seriously. And you say, well, that's a terrible thing to say about the Bible. No, here's what the Bible says. Preaching of the gospel is foolishness unto them that perish, but to un unto us who are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. The Bible even says, the unsaved man thinks this is stupid, but for you and I, this is life. God's word is everything to us. So again, if you're not a child of God, if you've never been saved, you've never been born again, today's not going to make a lot of sense to you, so step one for you, be saved today. But as we look at salvation in relation to discipleship, salvation is a miracle of a moment. The time I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, discipleship is the intentional process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. So a disciple is one who is a committed follower of Christ. Discipleship is the journey that you begin of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Again, I told you from 9 to 22, there was zero zip growth in my Christian life. And a lot of the things that I did grieved the heart of God. But my wife and I, when we got married, we got plugged into a Bible preaching church, and we had an older couple who kind of took us under their wing and, and began to disciple us. We didn't know what it was. They didn't call it discipleship. We didn't have a book or curriculum. We just started having dinner with them. And they said, hey, you know, Christians don't really talk like that. Let me show you from the Bible why. Hey, Christians don't really... Uh, Hang out with people like that. Let me show you from the Bible why. Hey, Christians know for sure that we're on our way to heaven because of what it says here in the Bible. Let me show you why. Hey, this group over here, they, they might call themselves Christians, but they're not really Christians, and here's because of what the Bible says. Hey, if, if I were you, I probably wouldn't watch movies like that because here's what the Bible says. And it's just like, oh, wait a minute. You're saying that the Bible has the answer for everything in life? What? Like, and, and I, no lie, 
I'm like a 22-year-old man, and I'm thinking to myself, why did nobody ever tell me this? Like, I thought the Bible was just a bunch of cute stories about feeding thousands of people with a small amount of food or about, you know, a big, huge worldwide flood and two by two. Because we sang all the, the songs in, in kids' church about Bible stories. Nobody ever told me that the Bible has every single answer for everything that ails you in life. And if we would follow God's word, we'll never be disappointed. Nobody ever told me that. And so when I heard that, just my mind was blown. And I couldn't wait until we got together with them. We were inviting them over to our house. We would go over to their house. We'd go out to, to dinner and, and, and eat dinner together. We'd talk about the Bible for hours. I had so many questions. I would keep a list of questions. I would ask them, you know. And it's just like, whoa. That's the process of discipleship. And if you take a look at the Bible, discipleship always takes place from one person to another. It's one person teaching their faith to another person. Always, 100% in the Bible. And so we need somebody in our life that will mentor us, teach us, train us, disciple us, grow us in our faith so that we can know what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. Because here's what happens. If you're not discipled well, you'll come to church and you'll look around and see what everybody else is doing. And then you just copy that because evidently these people are good Christians and so I'm just going to do what they do. And so that's what I did. Everybody that I know that's a Christian that I, that I go to church with, they all cuss. And so I guess it's okay for me to cuss. They all drink alcohol. I didn't drink alcohol, but everybody else did. And so I thought, I guess it's okay for Christians to do that. It's all right for them to listen to garbage music, watch terrible movies and, and television shows. It's okay because all the other Christians that I know do it. And we automatically just start copying what everybody around us is doing. But the problem is, is if you're copying off of something that's a bad copy, you take something that's corrupt and you multiply it tenfold. But, if we take good examples and we copy that, we copy good examples tenfold. Now we got something that's totally different now. And so as we, we look at the process of discipleship, I say, again, every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. Somebody teaching you and training you what it means to be a committed follower of Christ so that you can now pass it on to somebody else. Husbands, you are responsible for discipling your wife and your children if God has children for you. If you have children in your home, mom and dad, you're responsible for discipling your family, teaching your kids what it looks like to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And if you go, ooh, I feel wholly unprepared for that. Good, let me help you get prepared because you're behind the eight ball. It's time to get with it, get after it. Take your faith, pass it on to the people that are most important, the people in your home, and then begin to share it with other people. And so discipleship is learning how to be a committed follower of Christ. Now when we talk about sanctification, this is the process of intentionally growing in Christ-likeness and daily putting your flesh to death. Now, this, is, this is hard. I'm not going to lie to you. This is bad. Because this is the process of becoming like Jesus. So I've got to cut off all the things in my life that look like Anthony King, and I've got to put on all the things that look like Jesus Christ. And here's the problem many Christians run into. They get saved, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they begin this process of trying to figure out what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. It gets hard, and they quit. And they say, well, I tried it for like two weeks and it totally didn't work for me. Mm, that's the problem, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta stick through it. It's like saying, well, I joined a gym one time and I went on the elliptical for about five minutes twice in a month and I didn't see any results at all. 
continue to go home and eat ice cream and Oreo cookies and watch Netflix, that five minutes on the elliptical did nothing for me. Yeah, it takes time. It takes commitment. It takes consistency. But I'm telling you this, it's a process. Discipleship and sanctification, get this, are a lifelong process. You, you never get to finish it until you see Jesus. But this, oh, let me tell you, this is where the good stuff is. This is what your heart craves, to know Jesus and to be like Jesus. Every husband wants his wife to act in a Christ-like manner towards him. Every wife wants her husband to act in a Christ-like manner towards her. Every child wants to be lovingly cared for, shepherded, and yet even disciplined with the heart of Jesus Christ. This is what brings to our home, oh, get it, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 tells us what the spirit of Christ looks like. The fruit of the spirit is this, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what you want in your home. You don't want people to be nice to each other. You want genuine love. You don't want to have a good time. You want legitimate joy. You don't want people to just not raise their voice in the house. You want peace in your home. And all these come as you begin to be like Jesus. Now, again, it's a process. Look, if I want to eat corn for lunch today, I don't go out and plant corn this morning before breakfast, right? It's going to take a little bit longer than that. Well, can I have it for lunch tomorrow? No. Can I have it for lunch next week? No. It's going to take time. But we often want the fruit of sanctification by just going to church a couple of times and everything gets whipped into shape. No, it doesn't. It takes time, it takes consistency, and it takes death to self. That's why Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a process. And you've got to commit to the process. But I'm telling you this, it is so incredibly worth it. Ultimately, salvation in a moment, you're saved. Nobody can ever take that away from you. But growth and sanctification, that's totally up to you. Spiritual growth in your life, that's totally on you 100%. God gives you all the tools and says, hey, come on, I'm, I'm ready. But if you're not willing to commit to the process, you'll never see the growth. But good discipleship will always lead to sanctification, always. Because discipleship is teaching you to be a committed follower of Christ, and that will ultimately lead to sanctification. So when we take a look at this, some, again, sometimes people scratch their heads and they go, well, I got saved, but I didn't really see any change immediately. I didn't see any change right away. It's important to understand what happens to us when we get saved. First of all, when we get saved, the Bible says that we become a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new, the Bible says. That the old Anthony King died, and now the new Anthony King is alive. And you say, well, I didn't see an immediate change right away. Yeah, that's because the old Anthony still wants to come back and throw his two cents in. Still wants to live for himself. Still wants to do his own thing. But the Bible says you've been made a new creature in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we are saved, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit. This is, again, one of my gripes with false doctrine is the idea that we get saved over here and then later may or may not get the Holy Spirit. That couldn't be further from the truth because the Bible says in the book of Romans, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Here's the fact. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you are not saved. 
And if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the greatest gifts that God's given to us is the fact that Jesus says, I promise to never leave you or forsake you. He said in John chapter 15 and 16, it's a good thing that I'm leaving this earth, Jesus says, because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for you who will live with you forever. Again, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the idea that Jesus leaving in bodily form would actually be a good thing. But if you can imagine, imagine Jesus visited our church today, right? Jesus pops in and says, hey guys, I just want to stop in for a minute and say, hey, I would say, hey, Jesus, come up and preach, obviously, right? Can you imagine how good that would be to hear the word, preach the word? Like, what? Uh. But imagine the church service is over, and Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm going to be hanging around for a minute. If anybody's got any questions or anything like that, feel free to stop by and love to chat with you for a bit. Can you imagine what the line would be like to talk to Jesus? Like, it would take hours, and he'd be like, and the person in front of me I know would be like, I just have one more question. I promise it'll be really fast. You're like, oh, my soul, are you kidding me, right? But again, that's if Jesus is here in bodily form. But imagine this. Imagine this. Jesus, by leaving, can leave with us his word, the Bible, and leave with us his spirit that resides in us. And here's what he said his, word, his, his spirit would do. Will remind you of all the things that he taught, and will guide you into all truth. What a gift. It's like this. I don't mean to be blasphemous, but get this. Jesus is saying, you don't need me in bodily form any longer because I've fulfilled my role. I'm going to give you the spirit inside of you, which is actually better than me being here in person. So crazy thing. I don't have to sit down with Jesus and ask him all of my life questions. I just go to his word and his spirit helps me to understand his word. And when I'm going through life and I do things in opposition to what he's taught me, the spirit of God inside of me goes, stop it, knock it off. And I'm reminded of what Jesus has taught because that's what his spirit does. What a gift. I have the word of God, I have the spirit of God, and I have the promises of God. Like, what? So when we're saved, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit. Next, we receive a new heart. The Holy Spirit, in conjunction with my heart, makes my spirit alive. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 1, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin in our spirit. When you were born, you were born spiritually dead. Did not have any life in your spirit whatsoever. That's why before you got saved, you were basically just a shell of what you were created to be. All those that are without Jesus Christ as Savior are living as a fraction of what God actually created them to be. But the moment that they're, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God makes their spirit alive. And now they're functioning as a body, soul, and spirit. And our spirit has a connection with God, has a, a spirit with a connection with God's Word. And it creates in us a new heart. That the cravings and desires that we should have no longer are the same as they used to be because now I crave and desire the things of God because I have the Spirit of God inside of me. Again, when we receive Christ as Savior, our spirit is made alive in Jesus Christ. Next, we see when we receive Christ as Savior, we have a new mind. My mind is renewed with the mind of Christ. I think differently now. And again, the Bible says that spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people that we understand the Word of God now better that we've been saved. We understand how life functions better now that we got saved. 
Now I see things clearly, whereas I didn't see them before. I now see that when there's an a ad on television or there's a, a poster at the mall or something like that that tells me that I need to get some new gadget or some new car or some new outfit or something like that, I see it for what it is. This is a trick, this is a trap to make me discontent with what I have, to make me spend money that I don't have on things that I don't want to impress people that I don't even really like. This is all a setup. I see that clearly, where somebody else is just like, oh, I don't know why I want all this stuff so much. It's because you're a wretched, terrible sinner. And I am too. But I see things more clearly now. And again, if everybody thinks that every corporation in America in the month of June automatically started caring about the, the, the gay pride movement, they put rainbow flags on everything, I see it for what it is. You want to sell more products, you want to get the bonus points of virtue signaling of whatever's important this month, and you're trying to bump up your bottom line. You don't give a rip about people. You just want more money. And I see it for what it is. But here's the problem. I see my own heart for what it is, too. I used to think I was a good person. I'm not a good person. I'm a terrible, wretched human being in need of God's grace. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm a terrible, rotten sinner that without Jesus Christ has nothing good in of himself. I see my own sinful heart for the depths of my wretchedness. I see things differently now because I've received Jesus Christ. It's changed every aspect of my life. One of the great gifts that God's given us is as we are saved, we are declared righteous. Again, we see, and Paul talks in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse number uh, 8, I think it is, where he says, not of my own righteousness, which is of the law. I'm not righteous because I'm a good person or because I do good things. I'm righteous because I put my faith in Jesus. And Jesus has taken my sin upon himself. And he's placed his righteousness upon me. And declared me righteous. Even though I don't, I'm not a righteous person, he's declared me righteous so that when I stand before God, God sees not my sin, but he sees his son instead. What a gift. So then the question is, if I, do all this, if I have all this stuff, why do I still struggle with sin? And again, sometimes people get mixed up here and they begin to look and they go, well, if I'm still struggling with sin and I have all this stuff now that I've been saved, then... They jump way too far. Maybe I'm not saved. Wait a minute. Even though we're saved, we still have a flesh that desires to live. There's things in me that are, are of my old nature that still try to come out from time to time. When I am wronged, I get angry. I don't really consider myself an angry person. But when you disrespect me, when you lie to me, when you purposely try to malign me, I get really angry really quick. And it's of my nature to put you in your place, teach you a lesson, let you get what's coming to you, and take care of business. It's my nature. And so my old flesh, who wants to get even, desires to live, even though I'm saved. Even though we're saved, we'll still be tempted. Jesus Christ himself was tempted. He went into the, the, the wilderness, the desert. After he'd fasted for 40 days, he was tempted three times by the devil. We're still going to be tempted. If Jesus Christ was tempted, here's what he says. The slave is not above his master. The student's not better than his teacher. That If I was tempted, you're going to be tempted. If I was hated, you're going to be hated. And so we'll still face temptation. And here's the worst part about after we get saved. We're still going to sin. 
We will. You say, oh, I hope I get to the point where I don't sin anymore. You won't. <laughs> Simple as that. Now, hold on for a second. Let's make sure that we never, if you're taking notes, you should write down this. We should never make excuses for sin. Because what happens sometimes, people go, well, you know, I know I looked at pornography six days out of the last seven, but I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'll always be a sinner until I see Jesus. No, you're making an excuse for your sin. Stop, stop copping out. Oh, I'm just an angry person. That's how God made me. And I guess I'll just always be angry until the day I see Jesus. No, you need to put your anger to death and live under the blood of Jesus Christ and allow the fruit of the Spirit to work through you. Don't ever make an excuse for your sin because sin has no excuse. But when you sin, and you will, that's what God's grace is for. Again, Romans chapter 5, so where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. God's grace will always be enough to forgive and cover your sin, always 100% of the time. But don't ever get to a point where you presume on God's grace. I'm going to sin because I know God will forgive me. I'm going to get involved in this even though I know it doesn't please God because at the end I'll just say that I'm sorry and he'll forgive. Don't ever presume upon the grace of God. That just shows a ridiculous amount of lack of understanding of how the Bible actually works. So again, when we look at this, we're still going to struggle with sin because sinless perfection won't take place until we see Jesus face to face. But we have to continually pursue sanctification. Now again, this is a good part uh, to, to just take a pause for a second and, and teach a little bit about different types of churches and different types of Christianity and different types of theology. Back late in late 1800s or so, there was a group that was a branch off of the Methodist church known as the Holiness Movement. And these people had this idea that the Holy Spirit had visited them a second time. Now, again, if you ever wanted to wonder what's going on, you need to first of all, check the source. Where did this come from? Second of all, Check the Bible and make sure the Bible's the source. Because if it's not, throw it out. It's garbage. But the idea was this, that they had been visited a second time by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had given them what they called the second blessing. And the second blessing was, get this, they no longer sinned. Well, wouldn't that be nice, right? They no longer sinned. From that point forward, they would make what they categorized as maybe mistakes, but they wouldn't actually sin. For example, if you gave them a, a, a test over biology, they wouldn't get all the answers right, but they just made some mistakes. But they wouldn't actually sin any longer because they had achieved a, a level of holiness, a level of sinless perfection. Well, that's problematic because here's what John says in 1 John chapter 1. If any man say that he hath no sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you say you don't sin, you're just not being honest. And John goes one step further. You say that you don't sin, you're a liar. You say, well, Pastor, that's harsh. Take it up with John when you get to heaven. <laughs> or if you don't go to heaven, I'll let John know. But uh, <coughs> harsh, right? But here's the idea that that goes nowhere good. The holiness movement then branched off into what is now known as Pentecostalism. And so, the, the, again, they were looking for something that came from the Holy Spirit that was never promised to Christians in the Bible. And so they, then they began looking for signs, miracles, and wonders, and things like that. And, and so Pentecostalism then branched off into uh, what's known as the Foursquare Gospel, which is very popular here in, on Oahu, uh, some of the churches that are here. And so, but again, you need to understand the roots of where this stuff comes from. And, and the crazy part about Pentecostalism, uh, one of the crazy parts about Pentecostalism, is that they define evidence of the Holy Spirit by signs, miracles, and wonders, and speaking in tongues. Whereas the Bible identifies 
proof of the Holy Spirit and love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You know, we identify the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life by them being able to put their flesh to death and follow after Jesus, not by, you know, can you take this large pizza and feed the whole auditorium with it, you know? So again, when we look at, when it comes to any type of theology, we need to go back to what does the Bible say? It doesn't matter to a hill of beans what I think, what you think, or what your grandma said. What does the Bible say? The Bible is our source for all truth. Now, when we talk about salvation, we're saved. If you know for sure that you're saved, the Spirit of God has born you again. You're a new creature in Christ. Then the question then becomes to ask, well, then why should we grow in our faith? What's the point in Christian growth? If we're saved, why should we pursue Christ-likeness? And that was always the question I had growing up as a kid. You know, it's like, hey, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Why bother? Like, why do I have to live for Jesus? Why do I have to do the right thing? Because I'm going to heaven. God's promised to forgive all of my sin. There's nothing I can do to lose my salvation. So why bother? Oftentimes people say, well, well, I'm not trying to be like Jesus. I'm just glad that I'm forgiven. You're so short-sighted in statements like that. So why should we grow as a Christian? First reason you should grow as a Christian is because spiritual growth glorifies God. Spiritual growth makes God look good. And, and so help me if you say, I don't care about making God look good. You don't know nothing about nothing. Because the whole point of life is that we would glorify God. And if for no other reason I want to grow spiritually so that I can glorify God, I often say we should want to live a, worth, a life that was worth Jesus dying for. Did Jesus die on the cross so I could get my ticket punched to heaven and sit on the couch and watch Netflix until he comes back? I don't think so. I think Jesus died to save me from my sins so that I can be a new creature and so I can make his name great to the nations and that I might advance his kingdom and that I might try to bring as many people with me to heaven as I can in my lifetime. That's what I think. God didn't save me for myself. God saved me for himself. God wants his name to be glorified. Spiritual growth glorifies Christ in the fact that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20, Paul says this, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are of God's. I remember when we, we used to sit down with Pat and Jane Smith and go through discipleship. Again, what, we didn't call it that, we just called it talking about the Bible. I told Pat, I said, hey man, I got this really cool tattoo that I got lined up for my forearm here. It's going to go down. It's going to be like a, a dragon's face. It's going to be like breathing fire down all of my fingernails here and stuff like that. And he was like, that's cute. I said, you think it's cool? I think I'm going to put like John 3.16 on the inside of my forearm so that everybody can see that I'm a Christian. I think on this, this arm here, I'm going to get a big cross on this so that everybody knows that I'm a Jesus follower. He was like, that's nice. No judgment. That's nice. What do you think about that, Pat? He said, well, a couple things I think. First of all, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. Oh, yeah, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> Stupid. Right? He'll, bam, right here. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought with the price so that you are not your own. And here's what it goes on to say. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so me, stupid, immature, foolish Christian, go, oh, this is glorify God in your body. That's why I'm going to get a Bible verse tattooed on the inside of my forearm. And as I live to be 100, I'll remember him telling me, any knucklehead with $200 can get a Bible verse tattooed on them. It takes a real man to live for Jesus every day. Oh. Okay, so you don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I just want to be clear on that. You don't think it's a good idea. And he's like, no, I think it's a terrible idea. 
Got it. And can you imagine having a pastor that has like fire-breathing dragon with down to his fingernails with John 3.16 on the inside? He'd be like, bro, what happened with you? You know? Not, not a good tattoo, obviously like a 20-year-old like 90s tattoo, right? That would be terrible. But here's the thing. I was living for me and I didn't want anybody to tell me otherwise. You know what made the difference? Discipleship. Somebody say, hey, glorify God in your body. That means the way that you live your life. Next, our spiritual growth shows evidence of our salvation. Now, it's really important that we, we put a lot of caveats in this, that we understand spiritual growth and salvation. Because you are saved, you should grow in your relationship with Christ. You got that? Because you're saved, you should grow in your relationship with Christ. You don't grow in your relationship with Christ so that you'll be saved. Does that make sense? It's not backwards. You can't flip the two. If you do, you have a works-based salvation that is not salvation at all. But my Christian growth should continue to be on the upward trend because I'm a child of God. And so it's evidence in my salvation. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 3 says it this way, And hereby would you know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we're in him. Here's what John says in 1 John. He says, if you follow after Jesus and follow what he taught, that's an evidence that you believe in him and that his truth is in you. But again, John says some very troubling things when it comes to examining our own salvation. He says this, if you say that you're a child of God and you continue to rebel against the word of God and the commandments of God, you're a liar and the truth of God is not found anywhere in you. What are you saying, John? John's saying if you don't walk the walk, you know, sits and talking the talk. Now, I do want to be careful here. If you had examined my life, from 9 to 22, you would have saw zero growth whatsoever. None. If you had caught me as a, a young dude in the Navy at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you would have seen no evidence whatsoever of the fact that I was a Christian. None, zero, zip, zilch. Because there was no sanctification taking place. So I say that to say this. Be careful examining other people's fruit to see whether or not they're saved or not. You run into dangerous territory when you do that. Very dangerous territory. What you need to be doing is examining your own fruit to see, like, hey, can somebody look at my life and actually see that I'm saved by the way that I'm living? I should take a look at what my fruit looks like. I should ask somebody, hey, do you see spiritual growth in my life? If so, what does it look like? Like, shoot me straight, tell me the truth. We're called to examine fruit from our own perspective, not to look at everybody else's fruit and make a decision. Yeah, he's a Christian, he's not a Christian, totally a Christian, definitely not a Christian, right? Because again, if you had caught me as a 21-year-old dude, you'd be like, there's no way that dude's saved, no way in the world, because there wasn't any fruit. But you cannot live in continual rebellion to the things of God and think just because you prayed a prayer when you were in vacation Bible school in second grade that you're a Christian if you're not living after the commandments of God's word. Because maybe you're not living after the commandments of God's word because the spirit of God's not in you because you're not saved. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I'm trying to get you to make sure 100% sure you know that you're saved. And there should be evidence of that by the growth that we see in your life. Spiritual growth is also evidence of a healthy relationship with Jesus. 
John chapter 15 is so good. John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says so much powerful stuff, so much good stuff. John chapter 15, he starts off and says, I am the true vine, and my father's the husbandman. I am the vine, ye are the branches. If any man abide in me and I in him, the same will bring forth fruit. And then he goes on and says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. And so here's the thing. If I see good stuff coming from your life, it's generally going to be because you're plugged into the power source of Jesus Christ. Because here's what Jesus said. If you remember in John chapter 15, Jesus says, if you're connected to me, you'll bring forth good fruit because apart from me, you can do, what does he say? Anybody know? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, Get this. I want you to stay with me for a second because this might be a little bit deep. When I look at you and I see things in you that are spiritual growth, I see good things in you. Maybe you grab lunch with another Christian and you leave that, that lunch and you go, what a great person. So many times Angela and I have lunch with people and we're like, such great people. We get back in the car. Man, I love them. Such great folks. Get this. The things that I see in you or I see in others that I find lovely and attractive is not me being attracted to you. It's me being attracted to Christ in you. Think about that for a second. When I spend time with a, a good, solid brother and we're talking about Jesus and the good things he's done in our life and I walk away from that conversation going, what a great guy. I'm not affirming that he is a great guy because he is a wretched, rotten sinner the way that I am. I say, God is doing a great work in his life because that dude just oozes love and joy. He's got this peace about him. Everything that's going on at work, he's just so patient and long-suffering with that. What a great guy. I'm not attracted to the things in him. I'm attracted to the Spirit of God in him. So when I see spiritual growth in your life, it's evidence that you're connected back to Jesus. Now, let me say this for a second. You can fake it for a minute, but you can't fake it long term. It's eventually going to come out. We used to have on our uh, kitchen table, it was a, a silver colander with these plastic apples on the inside. And, and they, were, they weren't perfect looking apples. They were just rough enough to look like they could possibly be real. And so no lie, sometimes we would have people over the house, we got a spread of food, and we got these fake apples in the middle, and somebody would grab an apple and bite it. And it's just like, oh, that, those are for decoration. No lie, after like 10 years, there wasn't a single apple that didn't have teeth marks on it. Not one. And, it's just, and finally, we're just like, okay, we should take these off the table when we actually serve food because people just grab them and try to bite them. But here's the thing. The point of that, fruit can be fake and it looks really good from a distance. You might even touch it. It might even try to stick it in your mouth because it looks so good. But when you, the second your teeth hit that, you realize this is fake. You can work yourself up and use a lot of spiritual language. You can act like a Christian. You can attend church. You can sing songs. But eventually when the bite comes, everybody's going to figure out that it's fake. You know why? Because you you're disconnected from the source. And you can't fool anybody long term. You just can't. It's eventually going to come out. So the best thing to do is not have to have anything that's going to come out. Stay connected to the source. Continue to bring forth good fruit. Stay with Jesus. Stay plugged into the source. And you'll see the good fruit grow in your life. Next, our spiritual growth protects the name of Jesus. (laughs) 
Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord know them that are his. Here's what he says. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Those of you that call yourselves Christians, run away from sin. Get out of it. Stop. If you call yourself a Christian, if you name the name of Christ. Because here's what happens. If you want to be a fake, if you want to be a phony, if you want to be a counterfeit, just know this, eventually you're going to get exposed, okay? And here's the worst part for people like us. If you want to be a fake Christian, and then when you blow it, everybody gets to say, oh, so-and-so, he was a Christian, and he cheated on his wife. Oh, so-and-so, he was a Christian, and he was involved in all this other garbage. Here's the worst part about it. It makes real Christians look bad. If you want to be duplicitous, if you want to be a hypocrite, go do it somewhere else and just take the badge Christian off. Because you hurt real Christians when you do that. It's been grievous to me over the last six months to see every single week of the world headlines of some pastor who's had some affair, who's done stupid stuff online, who sent illicit text messages and photos and videos and, and propositioned women for sex yet call themselves pastors and call themselves Christians. It's shameful. But you know what I find as I look at the text messages they receive and things like that? Bro, you haven't been walking with Christ in ages, if at all. I don't know how a Christian says things like this. I don't know how a Christian acts this way. That just doesn't even add up. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't jive. And the worst part is, headline comes up, Christian pastor caught in scandalous relationship. Guess what? That just makes Christians look bad. So if you want to be a duplicitous Christian who walks in sin, please just stop calling yourself a Christian because you hurt the name of Christ. And you say, well, that's pretty harsh, pastor. Hey, look, I'm just trying to shoot you straight. Paul talks to the church at Rome. <laughs> if you never read the book of Romans, it'll knock your socks off. It is just like... It's so rich. It's a masterpiece of Bible doctrine. If, if you weren't even a Christian, to read the book of Romans is a literary masterpiece. It's so incredibly good. And Paul starts off the letter saying, like, hey, guys, I hope to come to you shortly, but I've heard a lot of good stuff about you. He never actually visited the church at Rome before. But as he digs in and gets into the nuts and bolts, he says this. He says, because of you, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. He says to the church that he's never even met before, hey guys, unsaved people are making fun of our God and blaspheming his name because of the way that you act. Shame on you for that. And then you begin to realize, if you haven't figured it out already, that your life is not really about you at all anyways. It's about God. It's not about getting yourself glory. It's about getting him glory. And when you cause people to blaspheme the name of our God. You're doing the exact opposite thing of what you're supposed to be doing. But here's the thing. If you want to walk in holiness and righteousness and sanctification and do the right thing, guess what? You get to protect the name of Jesus. Protect it. And so that's what I want to challenge you with. Doing the right thing is not just a matter of doing the right thing. Here's the fact of the matter. When you sin, it hurts everybody. Your sin affects the entire body. And so you got to protect that. <laughs> we had a guy several years ago that did something that was so foolish and so hurtful and harmful, he ended up making the Hawaii News Now 6 o'clock news. And he was a member of our church. 
and so, man, my phone started ringing off the hook. It was like 6.03. My phone was like, it's just like, oh, my soul. And our church was small at the time. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness, what a knucklehead. And so I, I, I Googled the guy's name that, that attends our church that was on the news. The very first thing that comes up is his Twitter feed. I thought, I wonder what's on his Twitter feed. I, I hit it, no lie. Very first thing. Worshiping Jesus today with the Who We Call a Baptist Church family. I thought, oh, my soul. <laughs> Google result number one. Oh, my goodness. And so I called him and said, hey, we got to talk. And so I brought him in. He was just like, I don't understand what the deal is. I don't understand why you're mad at me about this. And, and like, I think you should kind of mind your own business. And I said, oh, what you've done has now made Jesus' name look bad, has made Jesus' church look bad, and now it's brought shame upon your church family. And he sat there for a minute with his mouth open. He goes, I think I really messed up. Yeah. And he goes, here's what he said. I had no idea that what I said, I was just hot-headed and mad. I didn't think it would come back to us. And he goes, I'm really sorry. Good. So how do I make it right? You need to call this lady and tell her that you're sorry. He goes, well, I can't. No, you're going to do it. He goes, I can't. I don't know what you mean by that, but you're going to make this right. And he was like, she's got a restraining order against me. Okay, so we don't call her. Um, <laughs> get your letter to send, her, uh, your lawyer to send a letter to her lawyer to say that you're really sorry and that you're not going to do anything and all this other stuff. Second thing you need to do, you need to, to post online a letter of apology so that people go to your Twitter feed. They don't see our church. They see your letter of apology. Third thing you need to do, you need to stand up in front of our church and apologize for what you've done. And he said, okay. And he did. And guess what? After he did that, we forgave him and we moved on with life. It's over and done with. But here's the thing. He thought for a split second, mind your own business. I'm just doing my own thing. Oh, no, 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 no. When you call yourself a Christian, your thing becomes my thing. And your sin affects my life. Because that's how this works. And so, again, walking in holiness and righteousness protects the name of Christ. Next, our spiritual growth prepares us for greater usefulness to Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and to some to honor and some to dishonor. Man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Here's the thing. When God wants to present his son to the world, he doesn't want to present his son to the world in a dirty pitcher. If Jesus Christ is the living water, he's not going to pour it out of something that hasn't been washed in six months and has green sludge at the bottom of it. He wants something clean that can be used. And so that's why he writes to, to Timothy, he says, sanctify yourself, purify yourself so that you can be used of God. So several years ago, I was making a, a cup of coffee and I got down to the bottom of my bag of coffee and I was, I was Got every little bit that I had out. I was putting the my French press. I made it in there. Man, uh, smelling glorious. Oh, it's so good. I was like, I can't wait to have this cup of coffee. I pour it in there. As I'm pouring it, just the smell that's coming up. Man, I, I enjoy the process of making coffee as much as I enjoy the coffee itself. Oh, it was awesome. And then I began to uh, I put my sweetener in there and began stirring it up. And then I started putting my cream in there. And I, and I put probably more cream in my coffee than I actually put coffee in. So I just like creamy, like just thick coffee. And so I'm putting my creamer in there, and I'm beginning to stir it. And my, as it begins to lighten up, I have like two or three ants that float to the top of my coffee. That's just like, 
Ah. Oh. But it's my last cup of coffee. Like, I'm down to the bottom of the bag. I got nothing left. And she was just like, and so I grab a couple of ants and just flick them out, right? And just like, <laughs> it's, it's the last cup, you know? It smells good. And I'm getting, I just chug it. It'll be fine. Not that big of a deal. And as I continue to stir, like 30 or 40 ants came to the top of it. And it's just like, oh, no. It's just terrible. Now, had I been one of you savages that drinks black coffee, I would have just downed it and chugged it. So just, you guys are like next level gross. Uh, so, but, but at that point, I realized this isn't salvageable, right? Like, you can't like scoop out 30 ants and hope that there's no more. It's just disgusting. I poured it out. But here's the thing. You and I think that we can present Jesus Christ to a world while we got garbage in our own life. God's like, uh, I'm going to pass on that. Because the presentation of the product is as important as the product itself. You're going to present Jesus Christ to a world. I don't want to do it in a, a filthy, nasty container full of maggots. Clean. Makes me more useful to Christ. And so again, if you want to be useful to Jesus, clean your life up. Because again, here's the thing. Nobody wants spiritual advice from somebody who's living in sin. I don't go to the guy who's 75 pounds overweight and can barely button his pants and say, what kind of workout plan are you on, man? Tell me more about that. It's like, no. I don't want financial advice from a guy who's $60,000 in credit card debt. I don't want marriage advice from a guy who's been married four times. And I don't want to know about Jesus from a guy who looks at porn and has a foul mouth. Just doesn't work that way. Live a life that points people to the gospel. Next. Our spiritual growth encourages others. When you live a right life, the people around you are encouraged by it. John says in 3 John, he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. He's talking about spiritual children that are doing the right thing. When I think of, of our church here, uh, I'm greatly encouraged by the people that I've had the opportunity to invest in that made a good investment in it. If you ever have time, you should ask Min and Anton how they came to who we call a Baptist church and just the story of their life. I had the opportunity to personally disciple uh, Anton and Min. Anton leads one of our small groups on Wednesday night. Min is one of the best disciples we've ever had in the history of our church. She leads our, she works in our children's ministry. And, and God's used them in a special way because they came here, Min got saved, Anton got his life right. They started walking in the process of discipleship and sanctification, and God's used their life in a special way. First service, uh, Bill and Raitea Harrison were here. Had the opportunity to disciple ben and Ra- uh, Bill and Raitea. Bill now leads our relentless group, and, and they're just doing a phenomenal job because they've walked this path together. And I think of the other people in our church that have seen such great spiritual growth in their lives and how I've been encouraged by that. It's an encouragement to other people when you walk with Jesus and when you grow, when you latch onto the truth and they see God change your life. It's a huge encouragement. But it's also discouraging when you see the guy who was making a little bit of progress who left his wife left his kids for some woman he met on the internet. You look at that, that hurts everybody. That discourages everybody. And so, again, we need to understand that my spiritual growth isn't just about me. It's about, first of all, glorifying the Father. But secondly, it's about helping my brothers and sisters to grow. Because here's what happens when you begin your process of discipleship and your process of sanctification, your growth in Christ, you get to bring other people along with you. That's the joy of it. Next, our spiritual growth displays the gospel to others. When people see, see real change in your life, they know that it's only the gospel that did it. I was talking to some folks this morning, and I said, 
You say, hey, this guy here, not the same guy that he was two years ago. No, what happened? Did, it was, did, did I say that because he's been working out? He's got this new diet plan. He's doing? No, heavens. The gospel got a hold of this guy's life, and his life has changed as a result of it. His family's different than it was two years ago because he, he really got it with Jesus. And everything changed. And I can point at this guy and say, this is what the gospel does for people. That's a picture of real change. But again, when you got some guy who calls himself a Christian but has a foul mouth and is involved in sexual immorality and, and is gossiping and deceitful and filthy, we look at that and we go, these two things don't add up. You, know, you call yourself this, but you're living like this. Ah, something's not right. And so we don't want to harm the gospel. We want to encourage the gospel. We want to put the gospel on display. I want people to be able to look at my life and go, hey, Anthony, not perfect, but I see a change that God's made in his life. I don't want people to look at me and go, what a great guy. I want them to see, hey, I see the Holy Spirit at work in this guy, and I like that. That encourages my heart. Man, God changed my life, bottom line. The, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, discipleship, sanctification. I'm not the same dude that I was 20 years ago for the better. Uh, the, the guy that my wife married was some guy that was in the Navy who was just trying to figure life out and didn't know what he wanted to do with his life and knew a lot of Bible stories but didn't know anything else. And the guy I am today is totally different. My, I didn't marry a pastor's wife. I married some gal who's just going through life trying to figure it out. But God used his word to change our lives forever. And he wants to do the same thing for you. A couple of quick questions and we're out. First of all, how's your growth? Do you see growth in your life? Do you look at where you were six months ago, six years ago, and see progression? Again, we're foolish to think that we're always going to be up and to the right in our Christian growth. There's going to be some setbacks along the way, but get this. When you look at your Christian growth over a period of time, you should be trending upward. You're going to have some peaks and valleys along the way, but you're going to ultimately trend upward. Look, if you've been saved for 20 years and you're str still struggling with a foul mouth, get it together. Put your flesh to death, grow up, learn some new words, and be a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, you're still struggling with pornography. I will help you personally, but you can't continue to live this way. You're struggling with gossip, anger, anxiety, whatever. I don't care what it is. I will help you, but you can't continue to live this way. You just can't. How's your growth? I'll often ask people, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your, your, your walk with God? With 10 being, if I was any closer to Jesus, I'd probably be in heaven. And a 1 being, I have no desire or appetite for spiritual things. Where are you at on a scale of 1 to 10? And sometimes people will say, oh, I'm not perfect. I've still got some things to work on, but I'd probably give myself a, a 5 or so. I think I'm doing all right. Hmm. Five out of ten, you say. Well, the Bible has a word for those who are not hot, but they're not really cold either. They are, what's the Bible word for that? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Interesting Bible fact. There's only one time in the entire Bible where the word spew is used. And it means to make vomit. And Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, therefore will I spew you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're not. Pick a side. Oftentimes when people say, I'm probably a five, I'm doing okay, but not too bad. Generally what they say is, is a result of one of two things. Either laziness and apathy, just flat out don't care. Or they're trying to 
walk with Jesus, yet keep one foot over in the world at the same time. I don't want to go all the way towards being a Christian. I got to leave a little bit out there for myself, you know. I still want to enjoy the things of this world, but I still want to do a little bit of Jesus on the side. Let me just tell you this. You will always be disappointed with what you come up with. Because you're not really Christian enough to get all the Christian benefits, yet you're not worldly enough to get all the benefits of the world, you're going to be disappointed with both of them. Here's what Jesus says. Pick a side. And if you're not for me, you're against me. That's what he says. How's your growth? Next, how do you continue in your spiritual growth? We have a 14-week discipleship program where we go through major doctrines of the Bible. We sit you down with another Christian. You go through major doctrines of the Bible. And to go through discipleship doesn't mean you're a baby Christian. It means that you just want to be able to learn so that you can pass on to somebody else. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. But at the end of 14 weeks, we don't say, congratulations, you've made it. We say, hey, now your discipleship has begun. Keep after it. What do you do to continue to grow? For me, I get the, the privilege of being able to preach God's word, but I subscribe to like three different preaching podcasts throughout the week. I love to listen to the preaching of God's word. I love to read the Bible. I love to read books about the Bible. And you say, well, why would you want to do that? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want your faith to grow? Be in the Bible. So how are you continuing in your spiritual growth? Final question. This is really important. What's hindering your spiritual growth? What's keeping you from really moving the needle? Maybe it's a lack of commitment. Maybe it's a lack of character. Maybe it's the fact that you're not even saved. You couldn't move the needle if you wanted to because you haven't even started. But what's keeping you from being able, for me, for the longest time, it was just a love of my sin. If I really decided to do this, I can't do what I want to do anymore. And that was a bummer. But I realized I've never given anything up to serve Jesus. He's always given me more than I've ever needed. And hanging on to your sin won't bring you any joy. It'll only bring you more regret. But Paul, as he wrote to the, uh, the churches at Galatia, he wrote to them and he says, you started off really well. Who stopped you? And so maybe what's keeping you from growing isn't a what, why, or how. Maybe it's a who. Maybe it's a dating relationship, a friendship, your best friend. Who that if you went too far Christian, they'd make fun of you, or you might be ostracized from your friend group, or you got a bunch of people that you hang out with that aren't really Christians, and if you went all out and told them you were a Christian and that you didn't live like that anymore, they wouldn't be as much fun anymore. Hey, let me just tell you this, it's not worth it. I promise you that. Maybe you have sin that you're hanging on to, not worth it. Friend group, relationships, hanging on to, not worth it. What's keeping you from actually fully committing and walking through this process? Sanctification is not one of those things you can check off your to-do list. I like to get things done. Uh, I like to check things off my to-do list. I like to feel accomplished. Sanctification is not one of those things you can check off and be done. It's a recurring task on your task list every day. You can check it off for the day. Hey, today I put my flesh to death. Today I walk with Jesus. Today I, I said no to my sin. But when you wake up tomorrow morning, it's going to be back on your to-do list as an unfinished task. You have to get after it again tomorrow. And again, this is not a white knuckle, I'm going to try really hard to get over my sin. I confess my sin to God. I ask for the help of His Spirit. I spend time in His Word to draw strength from that. 
I put myself in community with other people who are struggling with the same things that I am and ask for help, ask for encouragement, ask for accountability. And then I just try to do better today than I did yesterday. That's it. Sometimes people say, oh, the sanctification stuff sounds really hard. It is if you're just swimming upstream. But there comes a point where I don't have to force myself to say no to sin. Sin actually isn't appetizing to me at all. There comes a point where I don't have to stop looking at women in lust. The thought of looking at another woman repulses me because I know what that means. I know where that goes, and I can't afford it. And so again, this is not a matter of I've just got a white knuckle for the rest of my life against sin. It's a matter of the power of God is going to change who I am from the inside out. That's what I want. That's what you want. Guaranteed. But the most important thing is you can't get into that if you're not saved. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved or born again, put your faith in Jesus Christ today. But for those of us that are Christians, man, it's high time we start living like it. Don't call yourself a Christian and continue to live in open, rebellious sin against God. First of all, you're making Jesus look bad. Second of all, you're making other Christians look bad. Third of all, you're inviting God's chastisement upon your life. Man, it's no good at all. But we need to be, have a healthy dissatisfaction with the status quo and continue to push forward until the day we see Jesus. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.